KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzei Torah. You are listening to the Erev Shabbat program. Erev Shabbat Kodesh Parashat Vaera. Kaftet Tevet. Erev Rosh Chodesh Shvat. I'm your host, Jonathan Snowbell, and the Erev Shabbat program is Lui Nishmat Shlomo Yosef Ben Chaim Shmuel. Last week, I think I uh, threw out an idea into the world, uh, as I mentioned last week, as I, that I developed together with my wife, um, that wasn't uh, fully mature, fully developed, certainly not uh, in my mind, and I believe this week it's uh, a little bit more developed, so if there was some confusion, some... Uh, Lack of understanding last week. Hopefully, I think uh, this week we can further develop it and, more importantly, spell it out more clearly. We spoke about a divide within Moshe where his moral character was fully developed, as is displayed in the three actions of intervening with injustices as he sees them, but a lack of understanding of the Brit and a lack of acceptance of the Brit. We discussed the fact that Moshe is not brought up as Jewish, so he doesn't have those Jewish roots of understanding the, the concept of the Brit. We mentioned the fact that he does not circumcise his son, which means he doesn't bring his son into the Brit of Abraham Avinu. And we discussed some of the, the hesitance that he had towards the mission. Without getting into details, he had hesitance, why did he have hesitance? This is the claim that we're making. I think it, some of it is displayed a little bit better in this week's Parsha, but I just want to stop for a second and discuss what do I mean by this. The, what is the understanding of the, the morality versus the Brit? Someone who is a moral character cannot tolerate seeing immorality injustice. And this, as we said, we see in Moshe when he sees the Egyptian hitting the Hebrew, when he sees the two Hebrews fighting, and when he sees the shepherds chasing away Yitro's daughters from the well. But within that as well, he cannot tolerate the injustice of the Jewish people being enslaved in Egypt. And when God comes along and introduces himself to him, this raises not a solution for him, but more of a problem, because how can God, who... Moshe perceives should be a moral character as well, stand by and allow this to happen. So, when he tells them that he sees the suffering and he wants to take them out, this is something Moshe can deal with and can comprehend. Th- throughout this, God is introducing himself as Elohei Abraham, Elohei Yitzchak, Elohei Yaakov. But I'm not sure that this part of the message got through to Moshe. 
and he hears more that God is seen in our suffering. So he goes to Mitzrayim hesitantly. He goes, he asks permission from his father-in-law. God has to command him again, as we pointed out last week. And one more thing that I'm not sure if we pointed out is that Aaron is introduced into this, which we'll discuss shortly. With Moshe continuing to hesitate, to hesitate, and to be reluctant, Aaron is introduced. What is the Brit as opposed to morality? This is the question here that we need to sharpen. But the answer to this question needs to be sharpened in order to understand the point that we're going to. Morality, as we said, doesn't tolerate injustice for a second. It wants to eradicate it immediately. And when there's suffering, it doesn't take it. And when Moshe accepts the mission, and perhaps still at the initial stages because he's a moral character and he wants to save the suffering people from the injustices that they face as slaves, he goes to Mitzrayim, he wants to save them from this, from this situation. And when he gets there, and everything goes wrong, because not only does he not take them out of Mitzrayim, but their workload increases as a result of his first meeting with Paro, Moshe can't take us, and he goes back and complains, why have you done this to the people? Why have you sent me? Point blank. If I was sent on a moral mission to save these people, I did not save them, and I made it worse for them. And then this week's parsha opens with God sharpening something that he didn't fully mention at the Ma'amad and that is the idea of the Brit. And if you read carefully the Ma'amad you will not see that the Brit is mentioned. I think there are allusions to the Brit through the mentioning of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov consistently at the Sneh. But the, but the words, Vayizkoret Briti, I remember my, my covenant with them, is, are, is, are not mentioned at the Sneh, and they're mentioned at the beginning of this week's Parsha. The Brit is by definition a long-term covenant. What does it mean by definition? By definition, if you tell a person that your offspring will become a nation, that means it doesn't involve this person. This person is going to be long gone before this breed comes to fruition. When Abraham at Breed Ben-Abtarim is told, you should know that your, your children, your offspring are going to be slaves, and he mentions 400 years. 400 years is a long-term process. What happens in that long-term process? For one, what's mentioned explicitly in those psukim and parashat lech lecha about Brit ben Abtarim, ki lo shalem avon There has to be a justification. The sinfulness of the people inhabiting Eretz Canaan has to be as such to justify removing them from the land. That's process number one. Process number two, some sort of building of a nation has to happen. And this building of a nation should happen within a foreign country, as was mentioned in Breed Ben Abtarim. Perhaps to strengthen the identification of this nation with their home country for them to understand that they cannot be in a foreign country, for them to understand the concept of slavery, and that they have to be avadim to Hashem. A, a breed involves a process, it involves educational development. 
these things don't happen overnight. In a different context, we've discussed that even Yitziat Mitzrayim, to a certain extent, was too quick for the Jewish people to comprehend all of its meaning and and therefore the need for 40 more years in the desert in order to fully ripen the Jewish people for moving into Eretz Yisrael. This is the meaning of the Brit, and this is Brit versus morality. Morality, in a pure form, does not tolerate injustices and wants to eradicate them. The Brit understands, the concept of the Brit understands, kvod morality, munach komo. Morality is an important element, and it's within the Brit, but the Brit is much larger than morality. The Brit encompasses morality and understands not all problems can be solved instantaneously, as Moshe tried to solve the problems that he faced with individuals, by the way, perhaps at a personal cost as well. If we want to fix things, fixing things doesn't always happen in one fell swoop. Sometimes things get worse before they get better. And this is someone who doesn't comprehend the breed, doesn't comprehend. When things get worse for B'nai Israel, Moshe's very upset. What's going on? Why did you send me? This also, uh, I believe, comes across in the, the, the nation's reaction to Moshe. When Moshe comes the first time and tells them, you know, God has heard your suffering, B'nai Israel accept Moshe's word and said, and it says that they, they heard what Moshe says, they bow down, they believe Moshe, and the reason is, they, because God has seen our suffering. Oh, if God has seen our suffering, then He will surely save us. And then therefore, this is a an exciting message to hear from God. God has heard our suffering. He'll save us. When Moshe comes back to them with the message of the Brit, at the beginning of Parshat Va'era, it says, Moshe, so we typically say, why don't, what, what happened to B'nai Israel? The same B'nai Israel who a parak ago accepted Moshe's words, don't accept Moshe's words at the beginning of Parshat Vayera. So we typically say, well, of course not. When Moshe first came, they had all the reason for hope. And since he came, the workload got heavier. Now when he talks to them again, yeah, yeah, that Moshe guy, he's a big talker. We're not going to believe him. But I believe that there's an additional layer here, which is that there are two different messages. When you tell a person who is suffering that... There is a, God has seen your suffering, He's going to do something about it, they're very happy, they want their suffering to continue in another day. When you tell a people who are suffering that there's a breed, there's a long-term relationship, and that's what the breed is, they're not interested in hearing that. A long-term relationship, tell it to somebody else. I'm suffering here and today, and I need a solution. Sharpen this just a little bit. Tell a person who was in Auschwitz in 1944 that, you know what, there's a breed with the Jewish people, and in 1948... A Jewish state is going to be reborn in the land of Eretz Israel, in the land of Israel. Gesundheit, hey, thank you very much. I'm here in Auschwitz right now. What does that help me? I'm going to be dead tomorrow. I think that's the reaction of Ben Israel. From a lack of patience. When you have a lack of patience, the Brit does not speak to you. 
And that's why I think Ben Israel truly rejected Moshe's words about the Brit. And Moshe continues to reject and be impatient. They didn't listen to me. How is he going to listen to me? And I think here, correctly, a strange thing is introduced in the Parsha, is this, We go back to... To, to the tribes of Bnei Israel in, or, in order to get to Moshe and Aharon. I think, as far as the message to us or message to Moshe, that there's something saying, the Jewish people weren't born with you, Moshe Rabbeinu. You're upset that things aren't going so well. You're upset that, oh, you're not managing to get through. Do you think everything is solved in a day? Do you think the Jewish people were born today? The Jewish people go back. You're not the first Jewish person. There's a process here. And again, Moshe Rabbeinu is still, I have a speech impediment, how is Paro going to listen to me? And here I think, the introduction of Aaron, which we mentioned earlier, is a crucial part of understanding this. Aaron comes from a different background. We don't know anything about Aaron's moral background. The only thing that we know about Aaron and the way he contrasts and balances Moshe is that he was brought up in the Jewish people and he has this opportunity to be exposed to the idea of the Brit, the long-term process. He doesn't question, he doesn't have impatience. And in fact, I believe that this could also be used to understand his involvement. He needs to infuse this idea into the relationship, into the, into the mission, which Moshe is still lacking. And he, in a strong, silent way, has to take the lead. And where Moshe has impatience and hesitance, because he hasn't fully grasped this concept, Aaron does not have that difficulty. And he is charged with doing the initial signs. Aharon throws the staff in front of Paro, which turns into a tanin, which, as an aside, we should all note that Moshe's staff turned into a nachash, and Aharon's staff turned into a tanin. What the difference is, I'm not sure, but should be noted, the Torah doesn't change words by accident. Aharon does the the physical action that is necessary for Dam, Tzfardea, and Kinim. And Chazal have their explanation as to why that is. But I think this is an alternate explanation and a good explanation. Aaron is more ready for this than Moshe is. The fourth and fifth Makot, there is no man action which initiates them. And finally, when we reach Makat Shechin, we reach a transitional Makkah. Because here God speaks to Moshe and Aharon, even though usually He speaks only to Moshe, He speaks to Moshe and Aharon, and He says to them, both of you take a handful of ashes, and Moshe should throw it in front of Paro. Some sort of place where Aaron is doing it together with Moshe, he's starting it with Moshe, because Aaron's been the one who's initiated all the Makot, and so he has to help out. 
but Moshe has to now start doing it. And this, I believe, we can point to as a transition within Moshe, that seeing that something is happening, something is moving, something is changing, Moshe suddenly, it dawns upon him the need for the understanding of the process. He sees that a process is happening to Paro, he suddenly understands, he doesn't suddenly understand, because we're talking about understanding a concept of a process, over the Makot, over everything that transpires, he sees that there is a process. He sees that one initial failure doesn't mean that the whole thing has to crumble down like a cookie. And therefore, here he starts, yes, being an active producer of makot. Of course, God is producing the makot. And from here on in, Moshe takes the lead in the makot. He raises his staff for Barad, Arben, Choshech. And as much as we usually view the makot as a process that is going through Mitzrayim and Paro, I think, according to this, we're saying that there is a process that Moshe has gone through as well, and he is being educated through the makot to understand this concept of the breed, to understand the concept of the process, and that things, even things that are lack justice and immoral, don't solve themselves overnight. They must solve themselves in a longer way, which sol- which takes into account much bigger factors than just the immediate suffering of a people. And within that view of the world, things come into place in a much broader fashion. Not solving only the little man's suffering, because the little man's suffering will be solved, not necessarily as quickly as the little man would like, but in a way that will solve more issues at once as well. A little bit more food for thought for Parshat Vaera. I hope uh, this idea has been clarified more. We haven't exhausted this topic by any stretch of the imagination, but I hope we've clarified it in any case. Shabbat Shalom. This week we're reading Parshat Vaera. And uh, I didn't find too many things in Pashat Ve'eva of the sort that we've been doing. And halachot or new halachot that are learned other than the, <coughs> than the well-known ones. And one possibility would be Dalit Kosot. I think it's well-known that uh, the Medrash says that the Dalit Kosot on Pesach parallel the Arba Lashanot Ge'ula in the beginning of the Pasha. And but there is one thing that I thought was uh, perhaps uh, perhaps relevant, and that is in fact the fifth lashon. After the bal lashonot agula, it says, "Veheveti etchem el haaretz asher nasati et yadi latet otah lemanitzak uli Yaakov benatati otah lachem morasha ani adunai." On this pasuk, um, the Gemara says in uh, in Babatwa Yushami Babatwa is a little more explicit the Gemara Babatwa Dav Kufi Zayin says Benatati Ota Lachem Morasha the Pasuk says I'll bring you to Eretz Israel, the land which I have uh, uh, promised 
to give to your, I promise your forefathers to give to you. And I will give it to you as a morasha. Morasha is a word which comes from the same show as Yerusha, an inheritance. We know from another pasuk, Torah Tzivadana Moshe Morasha Kilat Yaakov. Morasha means an inheritance. Well, we'll try to gain, get the meaning from the Mamar Chazal. Gemara says in Balbatu Dafkuf Yuzayin, Natati Otalachem Morasha. The Jews are coming to Eretz Yisrael in 40 years. Now, this is the beginning of the Tzedek Yisrael, right? So, <clears throat> 40 years later, or perhaps already a few weeks later, but as it turns out, we know it will be 40 years later, they're going to come to Eretz Yisrael and they're going to get it. They're going to conquer it and divide. Each person is going to get his chedek. So, God is going to give them, I promised it to the Avot of Hamitzah Yaakov, and I will give it to, to you. Doesn't say. I will, what does it mean? I will give it to you as a morasha. I will give it to you as inheritance. Gemara says, "Yerushahi lachem avotechem." Even though, in practicality, the Jews get Eretz Yisrael on the fortieth year after leaving Egypt. When they get it, they get it as an inheritance, as an ancient inheritance. Yerushahi lachem me'avotechem. Each Jew who gets a chelik in Eretz Yisrael at that time, it's as though he had inherited it from his forefathers from the Avam Yitzhak Yaakov, mentioned in the earlier part of the Pasuk. This actually has halachic significance in the Pasuk The question is how you divide it up. What the Gemara there is trying to say, among other things, is that um, the portions are divided by the Yotzei Mitzrayim and not by the Ba'ei Ha'aretz, the previous generation and not the second generation. <coughs> and there's also a, a, a halachic ramification concerning the Nebuchadnezzar, that the inheritance is as though it's not you're inheriting a future promise, but you're inheriting something that you already have, so then Bukhar gets twice as much. Whereas things which you inherit, like debts, money which will accrue in the future, so the first one does not get Pishnaim. So this has a real halachic significance that Eretz Israel is a Morasha. What's interesting is that in Pashat Bo, the Mechutah says the opposite. Um, the Pasuk says, Vayaki viyacha Hashem al Eretz HaKnani kasher nishba lacha lavotecha unnitana lach. When you come to Eretz Knan, which God has promised to you and to your forefathers, and He will give it to you. What does He will give it to you? The Mechilta says, Shelo tehei beinecha ki rushat avot, ela tehei beinecha ki ilu hayom nitana lacha. It says, at least on a psychological basis, the other thing, the opposite. Don't see it as you're coming into an ancient inheritance, but God has given it to you today. Mechutah says one is obligated, one should develop, it's not, this is next week's Pasha, but one is obligated to view Eretz Yisrael as a fresh, new gift given by God to us every day. The Gemara on our Pasuk, in this week's Pasha says, and the Pasuk really says, that God gives it to you, I give it to you as a Marashal. You show me, in the same place in Babatra, Says the father, Rabbi Yochanan Mativ, Rabbi Yochanan asked, It says, I will give it to you as a Morasha. Rabbi Yochanan says, There's a contradiction between Vinatati, I'm giving it to you, as an ancient inheritance. I'm giving it to you now, it's a gift. If it's ancient inheritance, I'm not giving it to you. Im Matana, Lama Yerusha. Im Yerusha, Lama Matana. Ela, Rabbi Yochanan says, it's, this is one pasuk. <coughs> the pasuk itself in this week's parasha says, I will give it to you as an inheritance. 
Rabbi Yochan sees a contradiction in that phrase. And so he says they're both true. God gave it to them in actuality when they got there. So he's giving them a new land. But the, the, the Yushami says it as, a, as two stages. After he gave it to them as a gift, he then gave it to, the, gave it to them again as a Yerusha. I think it means that he gave it to them in actuality now, but the nature of the gift was your ancient legacy. I think the word legacy here, I'm trying to understand this concept, it's not just historical, with Allah ramifications that I mentioned from the Gemara in Baba Batra. It's not just that the date on the deed is, so to speak, predated. You're getting it today, but it says you got it one generation or four generations or six generations earlier. It has to do with the nature of your connection to the land. We have a certain concept of things I own. Someone gave it to me, a gift. You own them. They're really yours. But they're at least in halacha and I think deep-seated in, this, in, the, in the hearts of many people, especially when land was still important more than today, is that there are things you own and then there are things which you, are your family estate. They're, they're your portion in this world. And so, even though Eretz Israel belonged to the Kna'ani before it belonged to the Jews, what God is saying is that that, that, that was a his, historical uh, uh, accident. You will get Eretz Israel at a certain date. It's been given to you relatively late in world history. But it's given to you as your ancient homeland. That's what the word Morasham means here. Legacy, not just old, but it's yours. It's, it's your ancient homeland. Now, historically, that's not exactly true. So, it's a legal fiction that God gave Eretzel to Avam Yitzhak Yaakov, and therefore, oh, it's been around here for generations. But I think the real point is not to determine the exact date. So, there's a little bit of unclarity in the Gemara as to which exact date we're talking about, Yotzei Mitzrayim or Avam Yitzhak Yaakov. But the, the, the notion is that when you get there, it's not just, wow, I'm rich. I, I got an extra piece of land. It's that this land is bound to you, not just in ownership. It's not just something which you own, but something which is you inherited. It's Yusha. It could be modern times we don't view inheritances really different than we view any other kind of gift. It's just an opportunity to have some more money. But think of it in the, in the time of land. It's, it's, it's the family homeland. It's the family homestead. It's, it's a homestead. It's your estate. Not, not just your land. Not just your gift. And, and so that's why you can fulfill the Pasuk in a contradictory manner. I'm giving it to you, but it should be Natati Lachem Morasha. I'm giving it to you as <coughs> something that's always been yours. And that it's therefore inconceivable that you would be distant from it. I think that's how you understand the, the point in the Mechut as well. Mechut is saying that it's, don't view it as being you, Shatavot. View it as Biluk Ilu Hayom Nitnalacha. That's going to to the freshness point of view. That sometimes there's a negative side. You know, the family home, it's been in our family for a thousand generations. Okay, you don't take it seriously anymore. It's, it's just, you know, it's, just, it's taken for granted. Because you didn't actually acquire it. You didn't have to work to get it. You didn't, no one gave it to you. You didn't, there was no, the excitement of getting it doesn't exist because it's, it's been there forever. So then the Mechilta says, it's a matana. God is handing it to you. It's directly from God's hand to you. You didn't get it because 
just happened to him born to somebody who was the son of somebody who was the son of somebody who was the son of somebody going back 12 generations 15 generations 150 generations well, God gave it to you so the freshness the, the excitement the direct contact with God the Eretzel is the gift of God is the point that's called Matana on the other hand what is he giving us so there's this a different point not so much the freshness as the the depth of the bond Something which is given to me so I can give away. Today, yes. Tomorrow, no. But the family home, the family estate, it's been in the family for generations. It's, it's, it's always been in the family. It's, it's like the, the true date, I think, from that point of view, is Maseb Balesit. The world was created so that this should be where you live. So the depth, the, the, the depth of the connection is Morasha. The freshness of the connection is is matana, and both those things exist at the same time in the same pasuk. Benatati ota lachem morasha. You're getting a new gift. The new gift is your ancient family home, and therefore I think this doesn't only apply as it applies technically in the gemara sense to. Um, the Jews who entered Eretz Kinnaan on the 40th year of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. What's the date on their deed? This Pasuk is, is eternal for us as well. When God brings you to Eretz Kinnaan, as she nishba lecha velaavotecha, unetanalach, as it's a gift. Venatati lachem morasha, unetati otalachem morasha. Every generation both receives something New finally gets that which he's dreamt about. The future is being fulfilled, but the nature of that future is the fulfillment of the most ancient past, the most deepest and most basic definition of the Jewish people is the Jewish people in Eretz Israel and each person on his chelik in Eretz Israel. Okay, that's all that I managed to find for Parshat Ba'era. Uh, We'll be back next week with Pashad Bo, which is quite a very rich Pasha. They'll have to do the opposite of winnow out and only pick one or two things from the huge number of possible uh, halachot connected to Pashad Bo. And until then, Shabbat Shalom Umivorach.